and we've won the cricket. There you go, Chris. What do you think of that? Look at you. <laughs> we have won. Well, that's very pleasing, isn't it? Isn't that great? Yep. Yeah. We have, so we'll cross to, in fact, we'll tr- try and cross. Wow, that's various... a face saver. Boy, I thought yeah. we were staring down the barrel of a good old bum spinky there. Yeah, yeah. well, thank you for that, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Um, uh, our wonderful man, Sam, will uh, we'll make sure we'll cross to um, uh, Tim, Tim Miller, who's on the ground there in about um, five minutes' time. So, yes, indeed, we won uh, the uh, cricket there. There you go. That's the second test in Wellington, uh, the English tour of uh, New Zealand uh, and quite a bit on uh, traffic as well, Auckland traffic, oh my god limited bus services, major roadworks on the southern motorway and no trains expanding housing in Franklin and Muppets have nose to tail accidents that's uh, Phil from <laughs> uh, Pocono there and if you have just uh, joined us and you want to hear more, New Zealand have pulled off an improbable and historic win over England. The game could not have been close with England's last batsman at the crease and New Zealand needing one cricket. Despite nerves and tension and in front of a packed crowd enjoying free tickets at the base in the reserve, New Zealand removed England's tailenders despite what appeared to be a match-winning knock from Ben Folks. Uh, the victory makes the Black Caps just the fourth team to win a test after having to follow on after the first innings. Uh, the test in Wellington now sits alongside classic cricket matches like the 1981 uh, Egg English victory in the Ashes and India pulling off an extraordinary win at Eden Gardens in Kolkata in 2001. Uh, and in a nutshell, for non-cricket lovers, they lost most sessions in the first half of the test, only to turn around and put the pressure back on England for the second half, culminating in a final afternoon which had fans at the ground enthralled and fans at work clustered around TV sets to watch every ball. We talk about that very shortly, but let's look at this recovery and response in terms of business in Hawke's Bay. Large-scale fruit and vegetable production, sheep and beef farming, a highly regarded wine industry, logging, furniture and building material manufacturing all call Hawke's Bay home. Now, as you know, the government has announced an international fundraising appeal and a special lotto draw to help support uh, the recovery efforts from Cyclone and Gabrielle. And that's modelled on the Christchurch earthquake appeal. Uh, both Jenny and Chris talked about that. That raised over $94 million. But what do businesses in hearted areas make of this and what are the immediate challenges with us is Hawke's Bay Chamber of Commerce CEO Carla Lee. Carla, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Very good to have you on, Carla. So first of that, um, what do you make of the government response? Um, They're definitely making an effort to help business and this fund was uh, initially $50 25 million went to the growers and the farmers through MPI, and then they've allocated 25 for businesses affected through this um, cyclone and the recovery. So, yeah, it's it's great that we've got this start, but looking at the need out there and the money we have, it, it won't be enough, but it's a good beginning. It's a good beginning, yeah. I understand, Carla, that right now the immediate issue is all for, also for businesses, simple cash flow. Yeah, so that is the number one issue. The Hawke's Bay Chamber have been ringing all of our members over the last week 
And we've got a survey that shows cash flow issues are number one issue here for businesses, followed by uh, supply chain issues, and then staffing wages, and then, of course, infrastructure with actually getting to and from places. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, or Jenny. Oh, look, I think it's great that the government has um, stepped in at a time when money is definitely something that can help solve the issue. At the risk of sounding like a completely insensitive cow, um, I do. We do need to start looking at these situations, whether it's this situation or COVID or other things, and saying, "Is it getting to the point where people always expect the help from the government to come and aren't actually haven't got actually emergency funds or emergency?" Uh, plans in place themselves. Now, I know this is exceptional. I know Christchurch earthquakes was exceptional. I lived through that. And COVID was exceptional. But it's almost like we're starting to remove the responsibility from the individuals and the businesses and put it all on the government. And the government at the moment can afford it, but can we carry on but affording hang on, hang this? On. I know you talked, you know, I've been thinking about a $600,000 yep. meat raffle, yep. and that is fantastic. But actually, in the scheme of things, that's not even a drop I, in a large budget. I totally budget. agree. It'll, it, it won't even touch the sides. I totally agree, Wallace, but mm, Do you know it's what I a mean? thought. It's yep. a thought, and maybe now it's not the time to be having the thought, but it is a thought that we need to start yep. thinking, having. Stay there, Carl. Let's bring Chris in. Um, Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's the right thing. You've got to do something. The government's got to do something. They've made a start. It's a good start. I actually absolutely hear the comment about cash flow and the other things, you know, this time of year, like in our business, early in the year, you pay pr- provisional tax. This is the time for the likes of IRD to, you know, really stretch the rubber band out and, and be, you know, g- give some rope, yeah, real give some breathing space, practical, practical stuff. help mm. um, um, with, with tax and the banks as well. With interest rates, I mean, one one idea I heard the other day was to help retailers get going again. Drop the fees off PayWave. You know, cash has been a problem. Money machines have been been not not working, and that's starting to come right now. But you know, those things which are practical everyday things, um, you know, taking those fees off, taking some of these things which which cost businesses quite a bit in comparison to what they make for the banks. Etc. Using the banks as an example, I think there's some okay. some things to be. Do you want to respond to those, Carla? Oh, look, um, Chris, great point. That's something I was talking about today about dropping those fees to help our businesses go forward. It's a competitive market out there, and a lot of our retailers are going to really struggle getting up and going. So, how can everyone help that? Yeah, banks, payways. What can you do around that? In regards to people getting prepared for events like this, I don't think they can. Um, when they've got insurance, fantastic. And when they can go through that process, great. And if they have been in business for a while, they're better off to actually support themselves and get up and running. But we are a nation of small businesses and these small businesses run a risk of starting up and going through that growth phase where they put everything on the line and we are a nation of entrepreneurs. We don't want to dampen that by saying unless you've got reserves, unless you've got things to back you up in the case of an earthquake or a cyclone or something you've never even thought of, then we would dampen the spirit of who we actually are as people in New Zealand. Carla, do you have any idea how much of the Hawke's Bay economy um, relies on you know, 
product now, pay later. Like the apples haven't been picked, they haven't been paid for by customers yet. The grapes for the vineyards, there are various cycles in the farming sector for meat and for wool and things like that. How much is that a big impact on the Hawke's Bay economy? It's massive on all areas. I mean, I'll give you one example about orchards. If there's an orchard that grows apples, they planted these trees three to five years ago. So they have invested a huge amount of money with no return waiting for payday right now, which is picking season, and then it gets wiped out a week before they're ready to pick and actually have a return on investment. What do they do from here? Mm. Do they reinvest? Do they sell up? Do they have the capital to do that? Do they have the backing to do that? There's so many issues around this. Um, it's hard to pick one to actually go down the track and say, look at this. Good on you, Carla. Thank you very much for being with us on the panel. That's Hawke's Bay Chamber of Commerce CEO. And listen to that, what is Lucinda Perry, Hastings City Business Association General Manager. Kia ora, Lucinda. Hi there, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, and I, I see that every bit helps. I, businesses in your area are doing their bit to help. I see Richard James Jeweller, for example, offering a free jewellery cleaning service, you know, for flood affected homes. So everyone doing their bit in uh, your community. They certainly are. And it's, it's heartwarming to see, really, in such a crisis, the community is certainly coming together and hosting CBD. Um, businesses hit by cyclone damage to get grants of up to $40,000 to help with immediate costs of damage. Is that going to help, Lucinda? I think in a lot of cases it will. At at the moment, everyone's still just very much in sort of autopilot recovery mode, just trying to do what they can to help help friends and family and and other businesses, Um, rather than sort of setting their mind on, on forward planning for funding. But yes, I think it will certainly help. Hastings CBD, thankfully, in terms of damage, it has held up okay. So I think the community is just so proud to be able to be back working where they can, back supporting local where they can. Yeah. Uh, Very good. Uh, Jenny? Oh, look, I think, you know, community spirit is definitely what gets us all through in situations like this. Um, We need one another and we need you know, the the shoulder of our, our neighbour or our, our business colleague or whoever to just keep us propped up and going. So it's fantastic to see. And um, I said it recently and I'll say it again, you know, the the um, the local councils, the mayors, the people like um, Carla and Lucinda, they're the people who are really stepping up and leading at times mm-hmm. like this. And yep. I congratulate them on what they're achieving. Nice one, Lucinda. Thanks for your time. That's Lucinda Perry, the Hastings City Business Association General Manager. Now, the appeal website is cycloneappeal.govt.nz and you can give to 2454 to donate $3 to the Cyclone Appeal. Well, as you heard about, oh, actually right at the top of the hour, actually about seven past four, the news came through that New Zealand had pulled off an improbable and historic win over England. And the victory makes the Black Caps just the fourth team to win a test after having to follow on after the first innings. With us right now from Basin Reserve is uh, RNZ producer Tim Miller. Tim, kia ora. Welcome to the show. And... How are things there? Oh, it's 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 uh, it's uh, buzzing down here, Wallace. It was uh, the most amazing finish you could uh, ever imagine. There are a few disappointed 
uh, English fans though making their way out of the ground. So, uh, but yeah, triumph for triumph for New Zealand. This really is a pull your backside out of the furnace win, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it surely is. Well, I was there on Sunday, and Sunday morning I could tell you I was not expecting the game to go to today, and then ups and downs there were a moment there. Kane Williamson missed a. Mr. Shot went for four, and it kind of looked almost all over. But yeah, Neil Wagner pulled it out of the bag. And what's the energy? What's the what's the atmosphere? Describe it for us. It must have been one of a complete uh, elation amongst uh, the New Zealand, and also too amongst your friends there. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was uh, swings and roundabouts. Yeah, one moment it was uh, the Barmy Army on a trumpet singing along, and the next minute was the Kiwis clapping, cheering on uh, Tim Southey and Neil Wagner. You know, it kind of swings and rounds about, and then everybody kind of uh, celebrated as soon as the, that, that work it was. I think it was just everyone appreciated it. what an epic game it was and, and, you know, one of the best test matches ever, probably. And I understand only the third time in test history that a team has won after having to follow on. Yes, yes, I think... Um, uh, the British captain, Ben Stokes, may be uh, disappointed in the decision he made on Sunday there, but, you know, that's what happened. And, uh, you know, historic day, both uh, oh. a one-wicket uh, win and, um, and a follow-on win. The, the way we batted in the first innings, the follow-on deci- decision on the day looked like exactly the right one, and you, you wouldn't have done anything else, I, I wouldn't have thought. But the old Barmy Army, I know that they are, they appreciate a good game. They've been basing themselves at the Featherston, uh, the Feathers Tavern in um, Featherston Street oh, in, in Wellington, yeah, going down there and seeing Geordie uh, the publican. But they, they commiserate as well as they celebrate, so I would imagine it will still be a fair old night at the Feathers tonight. Jenny, now, are you a cricket follower, watcher, or...? Uh, no, I'm not I'm not an avid watcher of cricket, but like every Kiwi, I get very proud when our team win and exciting moments like this happen. And, you know, I like the historical record part of it. You know, I think it's great. And it's good. It's yeah. good. It makes people happy. Uh, and very different news, uh, Tim, as well, isn't it, from uh, a uh, from a nation that has been, um, you know, beaten around a bit uh, with the psyche of weather and disaster to have um, a finish and a win like this. It, it takes on an added dimension, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, this, that's the beauty of Test Cricket, really. You know, you uh, wait five days and it all comes down to, you know, a couple of balls at the end. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> It swing, and like I said earlier, swings and roundabouts, there was no way anyone was um, betting on New Zealand to win a couple of days ago, even yesterday, you know. So that, and it just, you know, every, you could feel it at the ground, people coming down in their suits from the from Centre City, the kids after school, you know, the, the, the atmosphere was amazing. There have been plenty of times people have been caught wagging from work because the television camera's seen them in their suit and tie <laughs> sitting on the, on the bank at the Basin Reserve. Permission, I got permission. <laughs> but did you? Or do I need to get it um, um, belatedly, Tim? <laughs> well, they'll know now. I won't know good on now. you, buddy. Hey, lovely to have you on. That's. Uh, oh, by the yeah. way, before you go, before you go, Tim, uh, what next? What can we look forward to next? Uh, I think. Well, we've got Sri Lanka. I think we need to build on this. Yep. Maybe bleed a new, a few new players, and then we'll see how it goes. All right. What about Trent Bolt? Uh, well, you know, he 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 decided that his time was up. He he, you know, he's getting a bit older. It's time to, you know, make money when he can. So, uh, yeah, I think we need to get some new players in. So, I think that's what we should do. No, nice one. That's uh, Tim Miller there, live from Basin Reserve there. So, yes, indeed, a big uh, news in cricket. Uh, uh, new Zealand pulled off uh, an historic win 
over England today. Now, uh, to this, uh, the Prime Minister has addressed this afternoon the issue of managed retreat. The uh, inundation that Auckland experienced on January the 27th shocked many for its ferocity. Homes and motorways flooded across the city. And West Auckland has borne the brunt of flooding, not just this year, but also in 2021. So, some who live there are calling for voluntary buyouts after repeat flooding. West Auckland is flooding. WAIF is an independent group formed by residents and WAIF spokesperson Morgan Allen is with us. Kia ora, Morgan. Kia ora, Wallace. Thank you for having me on today. It's a pleasure, uh, Morgan. And just on a personal level, the flood back on the 27th affected your home as well? Yes. Yes, it did. I am a I am a flood affected resident of West Auckland, unfortunately, one of one of many. Um, purchased my first home just over a year and a half ago in October 2021, and it's now just almost a complete write off, really. Um, unlivable and just yeah. So I was there actually earlier today. It just kind of gets harder every time you go back, really. What do you say? What are your options, mate? Well, it's a very good question. I mean. Typically, when something like this happens, um, it's just between you and your insurer. Everything's kind of based on a on a fire insurance model, if you will, for a one-off event. So that's historically what would happen, and council and government wouldn't come anywhere near it. Um, but it, what we're seeing here is, is, is these properties, especially the ones most at risk, the risk is really escalating year in, year out, and it just doesn't make sense to build back in the same place. So what were some of the key issues, uh, both in your home uh, or others in West Auckland uh, and elsewhere, blocked drainage, repeat flooding, or what? There's there's three main things, Wallace, that our group um, WAIF is advocating for and looking at. Uh, The first one, of course, that we can't ignore is the change in climate. Um, The second one we're looking at is the increase in housing development and intensification, especially in West Auckland. Um, which has been done with really little or no consideration for the added stormwater runoff. And then the third issue, which you've touched on there, is management of the waterways, which has been a real big issue, especially for our members and our community out there for, you know, going on over a decade now. Okay. Jenny Morton. Um, So, Morgan, um, you know, you've obviously thought long and hard about this and and representing this group. You're talking about a voluntary um, buyout of your mm-hmm. land. So what what happens, I mean, because in Christchurch, of course, we saw with the red zone, people mm. um, were not happy to have their uh, land bought out and wanted to stay yep. right. and rebuild. If you have yep. a voluntary buyout, what happens with the people who don't want to move on, who don't want to be bought out? And then what happens to the land? Because does that mean that the government could resell it to people who were happy to live there? Sort of how does, mm. how does what's the practical aspect of it, I guess? I'm really glad you asked this question because it's one that I'm really keen to speak to because, like you said, when people think of buyouts and things, a lot of people think of compulsory purchases and using the Public Works Act. Now, what's happening in West Auckland is that for the majority of our community, these these homes are becoming so dangerous to live in that people actually don't want to live there. They want a way out. They want a way to get out of these properties without facing financial ruin. So... 
So there may be a small minority, and we're consulting and talking with my people who do want to stay in their homes. And this is where, when we talk about managed retreat, managed retreat can be a number of different solutions. So that could even include raising the property or moving it to a higher place on a section. It can include, include flood mitigation. But from our perspective, there is a subset within that of properties where the risk is so high that a voluntary buyout is the best solution. What do you think, uh, Chris? It's it's a quite a complicated scenario, it, and well, it's it something and that the Auckland Council or central government will have to get their heads around. But people are discussing this in quite serious tones now, aren't they? And, and also, you know, from from our guest here, in very sensible um, tones and and very sensible ways as well. Um, you have to be careful of unintended consequences. If a government acknowledges an area is not safe and buys it out what's an insurance company going to do? You can imagine an insurance mm. company says, a government has agreed that that is no longer a safe place for a dwelling to be, um, then we won't insure any of them. Um, so there, there, there are a bunch of things in there. Um, I pick up on Jenny's point about the red zone land in Christchurch. I mean, the the geology reports, the scientists said if there's another quake of any sort of size, we're going to have the same thing happen again. So, okay, government makes a decision. A harsh one, mm. but you know, on the scale of what happened geologically, probably the right one. If you look at these areas here, I think the first thing that has to be considered is the risk to life and limb. You know, it's a public health or public safety issue. We had two people die in the Auckland, in the January floods up here in Auckland. Um, That has to come first. And if you've got areas where it's just not working anymore, and if we're going to have these volumes of rain, then council and government do need to work together and say, what's the public safety um, proposition Just here. finally, Morgan, and, and, and Chris, we kind of talked about, I guess, the emotional toll, you know, referring to the Christchurch quakes. People are still actually all these years on um, coming to terms with that on a personal level. Um, to recently buy a first home and then to lose it, mm. it, it, must, it must weigh heavy. It must take quite the toll personally on you and your whanau? It's, it's really scary. And, and my situation is shared from a lot of people where you, you, you have to put everything into buying a home. And especially at the time we bought at the peak of the market, it was so competitive. And, you know, just to get to that journey, to have, to have you know, 18 good months and then it's taken away, I think I'm glad I had 18 months because there's people in our community who this is the second, third time they've gone through this process. So it's re-traumatising. They've already done an insurance claim. They've spent upwards of two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars to reinstate their house, only for it to happen a year later. So, you know, there's there's a real emotional cost to all of this as well. And so, when we talk about the cost of managed retreat, that's something that we need to factor into it, factor into it as well. Very good, Morgan. Thanks for being with us this afternoon, and we'll keep in touch with you. That's a spokesperson for a new group. Uh, it's formed by residents. It's called West Auckland is Flooding. They are looking at this issue of a voluntary buyout. Um, text me, 2101. Do you think that is an option or not? Kerry doesn't think. So, gosh, um, uh, is this callous? Sorry, it's buyer beware, not our issue. It's time for headlines.